Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari. Very excited to have you with us here this week. We have an amazing episode lined up for you, highlighted by an interview with Ali Latiri. Ali Latiri is the VP of Marketing at Handshake. Handshake is the leading career community for students. Uh, Handshake, you know, at Handshake, what her team tries to do is basically ensure that every college student has access to great job opportunities. And she's in charge of leading the brand marketing, communication, student growth, and product marketing initiatives. Uh, Before she was at Handshake, Allie was the director of pro marketing at Thumbtack. Thumbtack is an app that allows you to connect with service providers in your location. So if you need a plumber, if you need a caterer, uh, you can use Thumbtack to find folks in your area who can provide the services that you need. Um, And Allie's responsibility was engaging with the pros on the platform at Thumbtack, helping them grow and helping them get hired by the customers and the users of the Thumbtack app. Before Thumbtack, she was also into it, where she worked on a variety of products that took her all over the world. She launched products in India, Canada, the UK, here in the U.S., Allie just has a wonderful perspective on marketing from every angle, has worked with businesses of all sizes, has a tremendous view into the world of growing your business. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Allie to Influencer Business. Allie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to dig in. Before I start asking you questions, though, can you give us a quick background on you, what you've done in the past and what you're doing now? Definitely. Well, I'm currently the vice president of marketing at a company called Handshake. That's a startup helping college students find jobs, and it's an early career community. But I've really spent the past 15 years of my career in marketing, and I'm drawn to opportunities where I'm building functions and teams from scratch. So helped launch new products at Intuit uh, in the UK and Asia. Um, I also worked really uh, closely with um, different groups across the company to drive higher retention of our users. And before Handshake, I was at a company called Thumbtack, working really closely with small business owners and establishing a marketing function that helped them be super successful. Started my career in consulting, which was an incredible way to start and get a really strong foundation in analytics and communication and advising companies and leaders on their strategy. Uh, But I've really enjoyed my marketing career path. Yeah, we have a few different topics to cover today, but let's start on kind of growing small, medium-sized businesses, SMB businesses, because that's really where your expertise lies in building and growing brands, specifically via the marketing functions. And marketing can come in many different forms. Can you tell us a little bit about these different forms, you know, paid marketing, event marketing, PR, how effective you found them, and some some unique ways digital entrepreneurs can be using these, you know, to build their own businesses? Absolutely. I'm actually always surprised how many times a friend who's starting a new business says, hey, can we just go on a walk sometime and talk about what marketing is? Just don't get <laughs> it. Like, what are all the things it entails? And I realize, wow, I, it's really uh, wonderful to have this vantage point where I understand all of the different pieces because marketing is probably one of the d- most diverse set of functions that you bring under one umbrella. So The type of marketing you need definitely depends on your business and your target customer. And you always have to start with the question, who am I trying to reach and where are they? Where are they consuming information where they could find out about uh, my blog, my product, my service? And so I like to think of marketing in three simple buckets, owned, earned, and paid. And I'll walk you through each of those because it's really helpful to get a handle on what are you doing in each of those areas. With owned, this is really the properties that you have complete control over, that you really own the consumer experience. So your website or or your blog is probably the key part of that. 
and thinking about what happens the moment someone lands on my website. That is the, probably the most important brand experience they're going to have, that first impression of you. Owned also includes things like email and your email list because uh, if you're paying for them, that's in the paid channel, but it's um, really your, your property and IP and how you nurture that list is really important. And it's any other landing pages or places that you might send your users. So that's owned. The second is earned, and this is really all about the content that's shareable and people hearing about you and reaching you through something that's been put out there in the world that you have a little bit less control over, but you're not uh, specifically paying to place. So earned, um, when you think about search engine optimization, that's usually the, the key way you're getting earned traffic. How are you showing up in search results when people are searching for something in your space? Earned also comes from shares, from people emailing, texting, sharing your content. And ideally, you want to get as much of that sharing and, and um, word of mouth going because that really helps um, amplify your brand without you having to pay. And so there's a lot of ways you can be smart about how you're getting more links back to your product or service. And then the third bucket, of course, is paid. And I always say it's really important to nail your owned and earned strategy before you think about paid, because those are the channels that are going to work hard for you, hopefully without you having to invest direct dollars to capture someone's attention. Of course, they cost money. They require a team. They require creative, but you're not paying for placement. So um, key paid channels, things like paid ads that are driving to your site, whether you're paying for search terms, Instagram or Facebook ad. Um, paid could be events where you are paying to attend or you're paying for some sort of sponsorship and placement. And so um, paid comes in a lot of different forms, including boosting your own content so you're getting better earned results. But with all of these things, you really have to keep an eye on how much are you paying to acquire each user and what's that payback period? So how long does it take for you to make the money to cover that user? And if you're uh, really confident that, that that money will pay back in a certain period of time, you can usually tolerate a longer payback period, call it 12 months for that paid ad to pay back. Um, but if you're less sure that someone's going to buy something when they get to your site, usually you want to think about that payback period being three to six months or something much shorter. Mm -hmm. And out of curiosity, you've talked about owned, earned, and paid, right? Where does a platform like Instagram or Pinterest come into play? Because we often talk about vis-a-vis uh, -vis influencers. You want to own the platforms where your content lives. You want to own the the consumer, right? You want to have access to all of their you know, uh, the, the engagement that they're giving you. And if an Instagram goes away tomorrow, you know, it, it could be a problem for a lot of people. How do you think about those third-party social platforms in the context of owned versus earned? Yeah, it's a good question. I think people really want to think of them as owned, but as you just said, they really, <laughs> really owned. It's not a website that you can pay each month to keep getting hosted. Something can change. They could take away the like button, which means suddenly your content doesn't have the visible signals that everyone really loves what you're creating. So it truly is earned and you have to think about the portfolio of, of content you have and where it lives and um, make sure you have a backup plan. Uh, but probably the more important way to think about earned in those contexts, because hopefully Instagram's not going away anytime soon, so you can bank on that being a platform where you can keep your content, is really that how are people finding out about your content if they're not currently one of your followers or they're, you're not currently paying to boost? And that's where earned really comes in. What is making someone want to tell somebody else about you, about your brand, about your content, um, sharing it, tagging people, et cetera? And then how are you showing up in search results on other sites that aren't Instagram or that key platform where you're posting? So how are you showing up in search results? Do you have a really unique point of view on a topic? And so when people are searching for that, your article or your content's coming up high. Um, how are you working with media and potentially getting more traditional media, a magazine, um, an online site to quote you, to link back to your content? Those are all really valuable sources of own, earned. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk really quickly about paid, the paid side of things. So if you're selling a product or a course or something that people have to buy, 
obviously you can directly correlate a customer acquisition cost with a customer lifetime value. But have you ever seen it work in a way where perhaps the customer lifetime value is a little bit more opaque, where I'm an influencer and I get paid based upon the number of followers I have, based upon the engagement I have, based upon the conversions that I can drive, but it's really hard to allocate a number to customer lifetime value to a single new follower on Instagram or a single new follower on my blog. Have you ever seen paid work in that context? And if so, how? It's tricky. It's definitely trickier, but my uh, role at Handshake right now actually has a challenge that's similar to that. So our students never pay us to be on the platform and to search for and apply for jobs. So, you know, it's hard to know what is the value of each extra student that we bring onto the platform. But there's two ways I would encourage people to think about it. The first way to think about it is for every user you pay to bring to your content and platform, how many other people are they telling about your content? So how are they helping you acquire? Because then let's say you had to pay $10 for a search ad to get that person to click through and start and sign up to receive your email newsletter. Ideally, if you can know, actually they're gonna bring in one to two more people, that cost per acquisition isn't $10, it's more like $5. So it's helpful to think about how can you seed a market by paying to get followers or users in a new area, whether it's a new city that you might wanna break into or a new group of people who you know would really benefit from receiving your content, but they haven't found your blog yet, then you can often pay for those users, but think about ways to get that viral flywheel going and then your cost comes down. So that's one way to think about how to use paid uh, to get more leverage. Another way to think about it is, is there any way to value the number of users and the number of engaged followers you have? What paid opportunities is that going to unlock for you? So are there thresholds that you need to reach for someone to be interested in paying you to promote their product or be interested in hosting you at an event where you can spread the word? And so it's not a direct exact calculation between I'm going to pay this much money that's going to open up X dollars of opportunity for me. But you want to keep your eye on that and try to have some sense for, wow, if I get another 10,000 followers, that's going to unlock these other paid opportunities for me so I can afford to spend some money to boost my content on Instagram or pay for some ads to bring in new users. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, goes without saying, <laughs> buying those followers, not the way to go. Obviously, you need real engaged people. Um, but I think that's really interesting. But going back to a point you made previously, before you even get to paid, you need to have nailed down the owned and earned side of things. Otherwise, you're just throwing money or lighting it on fire or throwing it away. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I would completely agree. Don't buy those followers. I would think of it, though, as how do I seed a market? How do I get initial uh, awareness that I exist and that I'm relevant to a group? And sometimes a little bit of paid can help with that. Mm -hmm. And you do you want to be very specific with that? So you're talking about how can I get exposure? You don't want to just do, promote it to everybody on Instagram, but maybe you're trying to become more visible in the wellness space. And so that is the niche you're targeting, or maybe it's even more specific than that. It's, I want to be very present in the yoga space within wellness. And so I'm targeting a very specific niche. Is that better than kind of going more broadly and casting a wide net to start? It depends, but I generally think that's a very good strategy, especially because you want people who are truly engaged and excited about the content you're creating you can pay to boost numbers, but it's not going to get you very far if what you're, what you have is not relevant to that person. So there's incredibly mm -hmm. powerful tools where you can really select your audiences on Instagram, Facebook, and other platforms. And then you can even create lookalike audiences where you have a certain group of people with certain attributes that you know is highly engaged. And you can work with an agency, a consultant, a person who can help you create lookalike audiences. So you're targeting people who are very similar to people who already engage with you and try to get on their radar in a way that you might not be able to reach them otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think a really key component of this is understanding who your customer is or who the customer you're trying to acquire is. How do you get a thorough, really thorough understanding of, of that customer, whether they be an existing customer of yours or one that you're going after? 
Yeah, as a marketer, this is job number one, really deeply understanding your users. Where are they? What are their pains? What motivates them? And so I just think about hitting it from all sides. There are so many different ways you can listen to your customers. And so I'll tell you a few of them. Um, but the biggest thing is just always have that mindset of this week, how am I learning from my customers? What channels am I creating to listen to them? So one uh, that I think can be really helpful is any kind of customer satisfaction type surveys you do. Many companies do net promoter score NPS surveys to understand if someone would recommend their product or service or if they would be willing to share their content. So think about that. But you could also just think about putting a little survey module on your site and asking a couple questions about how satisfied someone is with your content or how willing they'd be to talk to someone else about it. And that starts to give you a pulse on how well you're doing and how useful your service is. If you are in the mm -hmm. position where you have customer support calls or tickets, that's another just incredible treasure trove of user insights. And so don't let your customer support team be the only people who are reading those tickets. You know, block half an hour, an hour, every week or two to really go through those and hear where is their friction? Where is their frustration in the service or experience I'm providing? And it's not all about um, people who have physical products. It's really any time someone's trying to get value from your site and might be running into snags, you want to understand where those pain points are and how you can address them. It might even just be the kind of support at whatever your URL is. It's not necessarily a, you know, a support call or a, you know, using some sort of application like Freshdesk. It could be something as simple as, hey, when I get emails with feedback, making sure I go through those and am very um, specific with reading them and incorporating the feedback that I get. That's exactly right. Any channels you open up to your users. So email is a key one, but also direct messages that you let people send you through Instagram or other platforms. Go through those and really listen to what people are saying. Uh, a lot of it will hopefully be encouragement and excitement about the content you're sharing, but you'll see other questions that could help you address um, ways to make your content even more relevant or really build your brand. Um, I also think an important thing is to get out of the office and talk with your users. And so this can be really fun. This could be you just inviting five of your followers to lunch someday and listening to them, listening to what they're finding most relevant about your product or your service, uh, asking them questions about where are they finding out about influencers like you or products like yours, and really just hearing from them uh, what they think about your, um, your work. And this is really exciting because when you go into it, I encourage you to have the mindset of savor the surprise. So you might expect to hear a few things, you know, if you're on brand, what are some of the things that you expect them to say about you and really excited to validate that. There might be some frustrations you anticipate, but also listen for the things that you might not have expected and dig into those because those can be really great sources of insight one other thing I'll say is uh, it can be a little bit intimidating to think like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this whole new group of users together. How am I going to do that? So I uh, would also encourage you to think about having an advisory council or an inner circle of users that are followers who are always happy to hear from you and give you their feedback. And you can think about how to reward them for their time. But in many cases, they're just excited to give you ongoing input. And so if you have an advisory council of 20, 30, 50 people, it can be great to shoot an email to them and bounce an idea off of them or get initial feedback. And that can really lower the bar, the stakes to having to figure out where am I going to go find out information from my users today. Yeah, absolutely. I think Glossier actually did a really good job with that early days. They had a Slack channel where they were just getting customer feedback all the time consistently. And oftentimes we're scared to do it because, you know, sometimes that feedback will be negative, but usually you can turn that negativity, that, that the feedback that you get that you might take as negativity into a positive by adjusting your content or whatnot, or whatnot and, and embracing that. That's exactly right. I love that idea. 
Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing about influencers and, and really any business, whether they have a physical product to sell or they're just working to build up their profile and their content, is they're effectively marketing themselves 24-7, 365, mm-hmm. right? Getting your name, your brand out there is perhaps the most important thing, especially now given how many creators there are out there, how many, how many influencers there are out there. Um, and building good content, building trust with your followers. How do you think about this always-on approach without killing yourself and running yourself into the ground? It's hard. <laughs> I know. I would say start with your core channel mix and make sure that those owned properties you have are working as hard as they can for you. So how does your website, how does your blog, how do your key social channels uh, look and make sure that they're all really reinforcing each other and that when people are coming to your site or coming to your content, they have a really cohesive brand experience. So they know what to expect. They get great value. And that is really the best marketing you can do, just delivering an awesome experience with your content or with your product. You can also think about ads working behind the scenes for you if it's appropriate for the type of service or product you're selling. And ideally, you want an ad to look like the landing experience that someone's going to flow into. So if you're promoting a certain message or a certain event, make sure that the landing page that they get to actually immediately shows information about that. So someone doesn't feel like they're having a disjointed experience or, hey, I thought this ad was going to tell me something about this, but that's not what I'm finding here. And then thinking about all the activities you're engaged in, really get clear on what are the messages I'm trying to send and is this reflective of my brand? Because when you think about 24-7, people are going to be writing about you. People are going to be talking about you. And you want to make sure that the things you're associated with, the content you share, the events you go to, the articles that you might appear in, all reinforce those core messages and don't make someone think, wait, why would they do something like that? Or I didn't think that's what they stood for. Because that causes dissonance and you really want everything that someone reads about you to reinforce the key parts of your brand. So Mm -hmm. I would just think, you know, when you're trying to make sure you're showing up as well as possible 24-7, first, make sure you have really consistent messaging and you know those key messages you're trying to share. Really think about how you can get others to be working on your behalf. How can you be more viral and how can the content you create be more shareable? And you've got to have your own unique personality or point of view. Sometimes I call this your brand attributes, but ideally what you're putting out in the world should reflect what you want other people to share about you. And that, again, really helps get the momentum for you so that you're not having to work as much 24-7. You've got others sharing your messages and working on your behalf around the clock, too. Absolutely. And so should influencers sit down and build out a marketing plan for themselves, even if they're not selling a product? Absolutely. I think this is one of the most important things you can do because it really drives clarity and focus and it helps you make smart trade-offs when you're trying to figure out, is this opportunity or is this content right for me? So I would encourage everyone to create a marketing plan on a page. And I'll tell you about some of the key pieces of this. But it can be really fun and it can be fun just to block an hour and write down your answers to a few key questions and then start to talk with other people on your team or talk talk with that advisory council, some of your users and say, does this sound right to you? And then just refine from there. So uh, first, start with your mission. What's the change or the impact you're trying to create in the world? And this can be small or big, but ideally you want to be clear on What I'm putting out in the world is driving this type of impact. And then the second piece is your vision. What's the unique way that your company tries to achieve that mission? So if it is helping people achieve their wellness goals, what is your particular niche within that? Is it helping create easy ways to make healthful food for your family? Or is it about easy exercise routines that you can even do at the office? So being clear on the way that you're helping achieve that mission. And then this is probably the most important part, really thinking about the differentiated way you're delivering that value. So to do this, you have to know, number one, who is your target customer? Who is that group of people that you really want to benefit with the content or the product or service you're providing? 
The second is who are your competitors? Or sometimes I like to think of it as what are the alternatives that they could choose, your customers could choose to what you're providing. And sometimes that's direct competitors, but sometimes it's just a different way to use their time. So going back to healthful meals for your family, that might be other blogs or influencers that they could be uh, leveraging to get those incredible tips or recipes. Or it could just be, I'm going to go on Postmates or, or another service tonight and get someone to deliver my food. And so sometimes competitors are uh, not exactly what you think of first. And so then when you know your customer, your competitors, you have to ask yourself, how do I solve the user need in a unique way? How am I solving this in a way that is particularly special and is something you couldn't quite get anywhere else you look? So be really clear on that point of differentiation. And then when you think about brand, because everyone who is an influencer is a brand in and of themselves and their content is really bringing that brand to life, you want to think about what are the things that describe what your brand seeks to achieve. And so I like to think about choosing five or so brand attributes. And you can think about this as what are the emotions that I want my users to feel or stories that I want them to tell others about my company? Because brand is really all about the emotion and the feeling you get when you're using a service or you're associating yourself with someone. And so when you think about that unique way you're delivering a service, getting clear on your brand attributes helps you explain it to yourself and to your company the way you want to do it. So as an example, at Handshake, a few of our attributes are, number one, being very supportive. So for college students, finding a job and finding a job multiple times during college can be very nerve wracking. It's confusing. And so we want to have a very supportive voice that makes people feel like, no, we've got your back and you can really do this. But we also want to be very actionable and tell it to people straight, right? Like it's going to take some work and you have to do a few key steps in order to find a great job. So marrying that actionable and supportive actually gives us a unique voice in the space of job hunting. So just to boil it all down, uh, I think it's super helpful to create a marketing plan where you get really clear on what is that service you provide to what specific target customer how do you do it in a unique way? And what's your unique voice and story in the way you're solving that? Yeah, no, I think incredible advice. Strongly recommend to every influencer out there, whether you're selling a product or just building your content, sit down, go through the steps that Ali just laid out because we don't do this in our day-to-day. -day. We're so busy on that hamster wheel, creating content, trying to get things out, executing on partnerships. It's really nice to take a step back and revisit that. I mean, how often would you revisit that marketing plan or that that brief you create, Allie? Is it once a, once a year, once every couple months? I love to do quarterly planning, but I think twice a year is a really good idea because the world moves so quickly. You will get new opportunities that might make you think, oh, actually, I'd like to take my brand in a slightly different direction. And you get new insights on your users. Who specifically are you targeting? Who specifically is really excited about the content you're creating or the service you're providing. And so I think it would be helpful to update that a couple times a year. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about outside help in the marketing realm. Marketing may or may not be somebody's core expertise. And you know, you've built marketing teams from scratch yourself. You've worked with contractors. You've seen kind of every conceivable scenario out there. When should influencers or influencer-led businesses start thinking about either outside help or hiring a team to do it internally? Yeah, so when you're building a company or a function, you can't survive without the hustle, right? You've got to start with just doing a few key things yourself. But I think as I've been building teams, one of the best gifts you can give yourself and your company is finding people who have true expertise and really unique capabilities and the functions you need to build. So when you're thinking about when do I need to bring someone in, I actually think it takes a real dose of honesty and humility and think about where are you the gap? Because oftentimes mm -hmm. you are the entire company. So where do you not know enough to be able to help the company grow as quickly and as effectively as it could? And then think about where else could you be putting your skill set if you had that extra time in the day? And so when you start to identify those positions, I would say hire there. And 
uh, when you're thinking about contractors versus full-time employees, sometimes it's just a true financial equation. Can you actually afford to bring on somebody full-time to manage this? Could you actually do it in fewer hours a week? And I think something that can be really wonderful about contractors or consultants is you can learn quickly from an expert, you can keep costs in control, and you can actually try out a few different strategies. Uh, so as an example, one of the things we're trying right now is field marketing and how do we create a physical presence on college campuses? And there's a lot of different ways we can do that. So starting by hiring a, a contractor to lead that means we're not committed to a specific path until we actually see some of the validation or the proof of concept and start to see that that's helping us acquire new students. And everybody out there is an expert, right? So it's one thing to say, all right, I have to hire somebody. How do you actually find the right people? Because if you just went by Instagram bios or LinkedIn bios, everybody's an expert. And we both know that's not the case. So how do you find the right people? Yes, so true. Well, I, as with everything in business, I like to be really intentional about my planning and my hiring plans. So I found a really good place to start is just by talking to other people who have a similar function in their own business and ask them about what are the types of people or who is the person on your team that's doing really well in this. So for instance, if you're hiring someone who uh, is going to do paid advertising or someone who's going to really increase your PR program, talk to your friends, talk to other influencers, talk to anybody you know about the types of people they'd hire for those roles. And I've learned a lot this way. I've learned a lot about what type of level should I bring someone in? Like, do I need someone who's super experienced and create can create a strategy from scratch but might not want to get in the weeds? Or should I actually bring in someone more junior who's just going to be really scrappy and willing to get going uh, immediately? So that's really helpful. Um, I also really like to go on LinkedIn and just read the job descriptions of other companies who are hiring people like this. Recognize that might be a little bit harder for influencers, but you can often find some of the key skills or attributes that you should put in your job description just by reading what other companies are doing. And then also click around to profiles of people who are already in roles like the one you're hiring for and start to think about who would be some ideal candidates. And when I'm screening people or when I have a recruiter screening people for me, it's helpful to go back to that benchmark and say, wow, if we could hire someone like this, we would be in really, really great shape. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is when you create a hiring plan, I think there's two important uh, sections. One is what are the three most important things that I'm hiring for in this role? Because every role requires a lot of skill sets and characteristics. But if you have to make trade-offs, what are the top three thing, things I'm screening for? And so that helps to go back to that. And then the second thing is, if people other than you are interviewing this person, what are some of the key questions that they should be asking so that you make sure you get a really well-rounded picture and you're hitting um, the, the assessment from different angles as you're going through the interview process? Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. Yeah, because it's really hard to find good people. Definitely reach out to your network and dig a little bit deeper when you are hiring for these roles because hiring the wrong person is not just costly in terms of the amount of money you spend on them, but it's also the time and effort it takes to bring them on board, get them up to speed, realize they're not the right person, reach out to somebody new or reopen your hiring process. It's just a mat. So spend the time up front to get it right because it can be incredibly difficult and very costly if you don't. Completely. Um, so let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the learnings because you've spent your whole career basically focused on people uh, focused on businesses where the customer where where the people building their businesses is they're often doing it on their personal balance sheet right so this is their livelihood this is where, how they're funding their mortgage this is how they're paying for college for their kids this is how they're paying for everything in their lifestyle right what are some of the top concerns that you've seen consistently across all of the different companies you've worked with and worked for um, with these small business owners? Yeah, it's been amazing to spend so much time with business owners. Uh, I've never been one myself, but I just can't, uh, can't tell you how incredibly refreshing it is to be with people who are building their own businesses every day and to feel like I'm doing some small part in boosting that. So there are a few common challenges and it's amazing to me how consistent some of the pain points are. One thing I hear over and over is, 
I am doing so many things in my business that I did not get in business to do. And I feel like I have no idea how to approach it. This is, uh, it's really challenging to go from building that core content or product to now I'm my own accountant. I'm my own head of people. I'm managing my inventory. I'm managing payroll and benefits. And so it can be really confusing to know how to get help, what services to use, how to assess them, and really just how to slice the pie of my time to spend the right amount of time on different things because everything seems so important and urgent. So that feeling like I'm doing a bunch of things that I never thought I'd have to do when I got in business uh, is very common. There's also uh, just the, the overarching feeling of the most important thing I can do for my business is to get new customers and retain customers. And what's the best way to do that, right? So I would imagine almost every influencer listening is in some sort of growth mode or in some sort of maintain mode. And so you've got limited resources, you've got limited time. It's common wisdom that retaining a quality customer is way more cost effective than signing up a new one. But you don't always have that luxury, especially when it's early days. So really figuring out what are the best places and the best marketing channels to choose to get those customers is always on small business owners' minds. And then the last thing I'll say is just pricing. Um, this comes up a lot, but especially in the early days, you know, I'm trying to break into a market. I don't exactly know what to charge for my, my product or my service, but if I get it wrong, I'm not going to be able to sustain this business. And so a lot of business owners learn the hard way that they actually do have to very quickly price appropriately to cover their costs and cover their time, or they just can't make it work. So pricing tends to be another thing that keeps people up at night. Mm -hmm. And what have you learned from these business owners over the years, having seen them in a variety of formats and in a variety of businesses, different verticals, geographic regions? You mentioned that you were overseas building out offices, what, what are some of the key tenants or the key uh, characteristics that you've seen? Well, the first is that it just takes true grit and perseverance to be able to build a business. There's no way to avoid the hard work. There's no way to avoid the challenging questions and situations that come your way. So it just takes a belief that you're doing something important and that you can do it better than others and having that confidence to just persevere and keep going. Um, Self-starting attitude and self-confidence really helps. And I'm always amazed at how confident business owners are when they're describing their business, even if they're still unsure about a lot of things, but they know they can make it and they know they can win. Uh, I would say that small business owners who win and really make it have a true customer service mindset. So they're really obsessed over who is my target customer and what do they need to have a really great experience with me and with my content or my brand. Um, I think, as we've talked about several times over the course of the past hour, really understanding your brand and the value you're providing and where you play. You know, are you a premium player? Are you a more value player? And having everything about your service reflect that so that you can charge the right price so that you're attracting the right types of customers. It's really important. Um, I will say that small business owners have this, in general, this underlying feeling of isolation, loneliness. I've got the entire world on my shoulders. No one else can quite understand what this feels like. But over and over, you hear that that is outweighed by the ability to sort of control my own destiny and manage my own product, have flexibility, um, not give away any of the value. You get the whole pie, not a slice of the pie when it comes to what you earn <laughs> and having to yep. settle for a manager who's not great. So there's a lot of ben benefits to running your own company. You're right. It's incredibly isolating. And I talk to influencers about that all the time because they are the person behind their business, behind their brand. And it, it can feel tough sometimes to build those connections. You're not going to an office every single day, right? You're sometimes stuck behind a computer. And so being able to branch out and, and maybe uh, mitigate some of that loneliness is, uh, you know, is, is something that is quite challenging. Um, but there are so many benefits, like you mentioned. And uh, <laughs> being your own boss certainly will make up for a lifetime of bad bosses. <laughs> um, but get, 
to to transition a little bit here, you and you're a full time mom and you're a full time professional as well. You and your you and your husband both have full time demanding jobs. Um, how do you make it all work between your professional career, your home life, your relationship with your husband, and your you're raising your two children? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's fun. Oh my goodness. Well, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and I think their schedules are as busy as my husband's and my schedule. So it's, <laughs> um, it's exciting. But I'd say the main trick to all of it is just being really intentional. And so um, my husband travels a lot for work. And what we've learned along the way is somebody in the relationship, when you have little kids, has to have some flexibility in their schedule. Um, a few weeks into my new job, I got a call that my son had just broken his arm at a little camp and oh. able to take those midday calls, you know, life happens. So for me, I've had to be really um, realistic about the types of jobs I can take, given that my husband's job is awesome and we want to keep him there as well. So I've purposely taken jobs with companies that are supportive of me keeping my hours in the office more contained, you know, really trying to keep to a nine to five. And if I need to leave in the middle of the day to take care of something, it's possible. But then I have to really rearrange my schedule to make sure that I have extra pockets of time where I can do work, and frankly, just have some time to get in the flow with a project. So for me, that often happens between nine to 11 p.m. at night which is not ideal, but it means that I can reserve the mornings and the evenings for my kids. And that's exactly what I want to do. Uh, the other thing I'd say we've learned along the way is weekends are for family. You know, we are all together all the time, whether it's soccer games, museums, just, you know, kind of a lazy walk or bike ride. And reserving that time to spend time with each other, just relax and be playful makes the sort of hard charging weeks more, uh, more worth it and easier. And um, self care, of course, comes into this, I try to prioritize fitness, even if it's in ways that are sort of hidden, like walking up the stairs at work or taking a walking meeting. So all of this just requires being really clear on what are my values? And what are our family values? How do we want to spend our time? And then choosing work situations and arranging my time outside of work. So we get to do that. And frankly, I have to say no to a lot of things to make sure that I'm aligned with how I really want to be spending my time. Absolutely. And I think one of uh, a key takeaway here for anybody running a business, I think one of the things that you said in there was incredibly important. It's that you've prioritized businesses that give you the flexibility that trust you enough to get your work done, but also realize that you have a family. I think that's really instructive because to be very transparent, Allie is an advisor for us here at Trove. And she's an incredible person, an incredible advisor, an incredible worker, great pedigree, really understands business in very intricate details, has great experience. And if you don't provide an environment for people like Allie to thrive, they're going to find somewhere else to work. So I think it's a really interesting recruiting tool from that perspective, giving people that leeway to live their lives professionally, but also personally give them the the leeway to do that and trust them to do that. Obviously, you have to demonstrate that over the course of your career that's earned, not necessarily just given. But I think it's an incredibly interesting uh, way to recruit people by giving them that environment. I completely agree. And you've made a few a few career moves over the past 10 years, each time jumping into a larger and larger role. How do you balance, you know, that dis, those decisions, right, in light of having two kids? Because each time you're taking on more responsibility. Well, I just say I've taken it one step at a time. And each time I've come to a transition point, I've really uh, felt motivated and also prepared to take on the next challenge. And so I have felt like I should go for it. But sometimes it's t- meant I have to take a pause to really ask myself, what is the next right move? Um, I think something unique about my path is I have sought out roles where I'm building functions and teams from scratch. And that can be really challenging, but it's the kind of challenge that gets me really fired up each day, gets my mind working and gets um, me really excited. And so while uh, it might be easier <laughs> if I, I went to a different type of work situation, I know this is the type of work I love to do. And so I've decided to make moves that indulge that. 
Um, the other thing is I've considered a couple times sort of stepping back and doing something where I'm more of a consultant or have a lot more flex in my calendar. But what I really um, love doing is helping teams do the best work of their lives and be really successful. And I know that that would be harder if I was an independent consultant. And so for now, I've chosen to keep going to companies where I can build and, and really help um, create a high-performing team. And it helps me feel like I'm getting sort of the max impact for my time. And then the last thing I'll say is, I've, yes, I've been really intentional about going to companies that offer flexibility, but also about going to mission-driven companies because it feels phenomenal to know that the work you're doing every day has a real impact on people's lives. At Thumbtack, it was helping small business owners find great work. At Handshake, it's helping college students start meaningful careers. And so that helps me get me out of bed in the morning and it keeps me motivated, even though the days are pretty packed and I'm definitely having to make some trade-offs. So each time um, it's been worth it and it's been really fun to work for such a diverse range of companies. Yeah. And it's wonderful, obviously, from us here at Trove, love having you on our team. Um, but before I let you go, um, there is one thing I want to dig in on, and it's a question we get a lot. People are always asking us about Gen Z, and you have now transitioned into a company and into, into a role where they are your core customer. And so I'm wondering if you can shed a little bit of light on Gen Z, what motivates them, what gets them excited, how to appeal to them as a company, a brand, and influencers. Yes. So some of the things about appealing to Gen Z actually feel luckily quite similar to working with small business owners. And I'd say uh, part of that is just people want you to give it to them straight. Don't let, you know, don't make me read between the lines. Just tell me what I should know about your product or how I can get the benefit of some of the things you're trying to tell me. And so that's really refreshing. Just this desire for direct, clear, authentic communication but I do think something that's quite different is I mentioned this confidence that small business owners often have. And we see that college students, especially in their job search, have this mix of um, confidence and just a lot of confusion and feeling overwhelmed and not sure what to do next. And so we really have to talk to them with a supportive tone and suggest that we can help you achieve your goals, get to where you want to go. And I would imagine that with a lot of influencers content, that's really relevant too. that bringing in that supportive tone. And it's a really, you know, interesting time of life where you're exploring a lot of different paths or a lot of different possibilities. And so uh, helping Gen Z see how to achieve what they want to achieve is really important. Um, a couple of things that you hear about Gen Z that we've definitely seen to be true is that authenticity is key. So don't try to talk to me in a marketing tone. Really tell me the truth, give me real support, tell me real success stories, talk to me directly. Gen Z also loves the quirk. <laughs> they really like funny, humorous, <laughs> quirky things. Um, we found a drier marketing tone doesn't really work when we're communicating. And so we are experimenting with a lot of different types of content and more visual ways to share information that draw attention and just make you laugh create sort of a feeling of lightheartedness. Uh, and so as with all things in marketing, I think it's all about understanding where Gen Z is and focusing on channels that reach them in those places, meeting them where they are. And so definitely we're in search, we're on Instagram and Facebook, but we're also ex experimenting with and exploring some new platforms and frankly, just going to campus <laughs> to start to get on their radar. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Allie, thanks so much for all of your insights from the how to be a working mother while, you know, managing family, your career to the incredible insights on the marketing side of things and how influencers can start to incorporate that to insights on the Gen Z generation, which we are all eager to hear about. We really always wonderful to, to have you. And thanks for joining us today on Influencer Business. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. Great conversation with Allie. So wonderful to have her on the podcast. 
She is phenomenal. She's one of our advisors, just a great person to have on your team, really understands the marketing side of things extremely well, and just the trials and tribulations that you go through as a business owner. And so a couple of things I want to pull out from the conversation that we have. First and foremost, she harped on this. You need to understand your customers. It's not just for people who sell products. You you need to understand as an influencer and as a digital content creator what resonates with them. You know, seek their feedback, listen to the things that they're they're telling you whether it's directly through dms or indirectly through how they engage with your posts because this is why brands hire you because you know your audience better than anybody else so make sure you understand them the second thing that i want to talk about is she talked about making sure that your own properties are working hard for you make sure that they're really reinforcing each other make sure that you have a cohesive brand across all of your different properties whether it's your website whether it's your pinterest whether it's your instagram every deliver deliver an awesome experience to everybody across all of the different platforms that you have so you know what you put into this world what you put into each of these platforms is what you want people to see and what you want people to share about you in particular and this is how you get content to work for you so that when somebody shows up to any one of your properties any one of your platforms they know exactly what you stand for and they know exactly what they're going to get the third thing that I want to touch on is maybe an undercurrent in all of this and it's not something necessarily that digital content creators and and influencers think about perhaps but be deliberate about your marketing you know think about how you're growing it's one of these things where we kind of fall into this trap sometimes where we just say oh the algorithm or this that or the other thing will get discovered hopefully you know somebody picks up you know writes an article about us or somebody mentions us on instagram or includes us in their weekly roundup but take a step back and think about how you can be more deliberate in your marketing Think about how you can do more proactive things to grow because there are people out there who are growing. The platforms are always changing, but there are still ways to grow. So, and it starts with kind of your mission. What is your goal? What are you putting out there? What do you want to be known for? And then how are you going to achieve that? And then once you're achieving that, how are you going to get more people to hear about it? Take a few moments. We're here at the end of the year, heading into 2020. Think about what your goals are for 2020, how you're going to grow your business, and be deliberate about that. Take some of the tips that Ali laid out, put them into action, and I think you'll see incredible results in the new year. For all of this and more, make sure you head over to trovebusiness.com. We've got everything you could possibly need to help you run your business more efficiently. And as always, a big shout out to my guy, Pete Crimmy, who always makes us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us here this week. We'll see you next time.